I'm Ben Forrid. I'm Polly Gill. And I'm Alyssa Mendel. And this is Chordscast. Created by the team at the Coordination of Rare Diseases at Sanford, or CORDS for short, which is a rare disease registry working to tie together patients and researchers, no matter their condition and no matter where they are in the world. In these episodes, you'll hear interviews with scientists, physicians, rare disease patients, and advocates, along with updates on our registry and ways that you can get involved. Let's get started. and welcome to another episode of Chords Cast. As always, my name is Ben Ford, and it's a pleasure to have you here with me today. Um, first and foremost, Happy New Year to you and uh, your family. I hope that you had a great holiday season uh, and that 2020 is off to uh, in a great swing for you. Uh, to all of our research friends out there, I hope uh, your year is filled with grant awards and publications. And to all of my advocate friends, I hope that uh, all of the time spent raising awareness for your community uh, pays dividends. Here at Sanford Research, the Chords team is gearing up for a busy year. Um, kicking it off uh, in a couple of weeks here in January, um, we will be having our first webinar of the year. Uh, this will be done in conjunction with the uh, National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI. Um, we'll have speakers that focus on caregiving and um, and we'll just talk about the you know comorbidity between mental illness and rare disease. In this first episode of Chords Cast for 2020, uh, Alyssa and Polly sat down with Nathan Peck from Cure VCP Disease and a researcher named Chris Weil. Uh, he is a professor in neurology at WashU, Washington University in St. Louis, and they talk about um, the, a very complex disorder called VCP disease. Uh, there are multiple facets to it, uh, and there's a really great discussion on um, how hard this is to diagnose talked a lot about how um, we in modern medicine have you know, used a pedigree to establish uh, a trend within one family and expand it upon. Um, big, a uh, really cool message about how we can learn a lot about a variety of different health disorders by studying a rare condition. Uh, and so um, stay tuned. I hope that you get out a, lot, a lot out of this. And, uh, and as always, uh, let us know if you have any questions. Welcome to another episode of Chords Cast. I'm Alyssa Mendel, and joining me today, I have my colleague Polly Gill. And we're also going to discuss with Chris Weil, professor of neurology at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis. And joining us too is Nathan Peck. He is the founder of the Cure VCP Disease Foundation. And we're going to talk about VCP disease today. So, to get us started, uh, Nathan, why don't you tell me a little bit about VCP disease and what is your connection to uh, VCP disease? Sure. Yeah, so VCP stands for the valicin-containing protein. It's the P97 gene. 
and it's a diseases that are related to a mutation or variant of the VCP um, gene. Uh, I grew up with this. It's an adult onset uh, autosomal dominant disease. So my mother was a carrier of the disease and I got it from her and I have two uncles still living with the disease and an aunt that also had the disease. So four out of her six of the six siblings um, developed a mutation and we think her grandmother or her mother was the carrier of it. Um, so my mom, about the time I went to college, started showing symptoms, um, which there's uh, some different distinct phenotypes of it, which the most uh, common one is uh, inclusion body myopathy. So it's a muscle weakness. And again, it starts in late uh, 30s, early 40s. Um, and I'm also a patient with the disease. And we started this organization back in early 2018, just trying to organize the patient population and bring awareness and education efforts to the neurology, rheumatology community. Um, so... Oh, thank you for that. And Chris, can you tell me a little bit about your connection with VCP disease and just in general a little bit more about you? Sure. So I'm a, a neurologist by training and then did a neuromuscular fellowship and I see patients with hereditary muscle diseases in our clinic. And then I also have a basic science lab where I study mechanisms of, of muscle disease um, and I started studying uh, mutations in, in VCP as a cause of a form of inclusion body myopathy as Nathan discussed started studying that um, as, about in 2004 so whenever the gene was identified in this uh, in this disorder I started studying it in the lab and seeing uh, patients with the with the disease as well in fact um, one of the first families that uh, was identified with the disease mutations actually was just across the river from St. Louis and actually oh, had been wow. seen in our clinic. So we had a direct connection to those patients clinically. And then um, me being interested in starting an academic research career um, started uh, focusing on, on this uh, disease and the disease mutations and how they lead to muscle weakness, as well as um, some of the other phenotypes associated with it, which we should probably touch on at some point. And then um, have had kind of sustained funding um, for the last, uh, I guess, decade uh, for, for studying it. Thank you. That's that's kind of crazy how that first identified family was just right across the river from you. How, what a coincidence there. And actually, can I, oh, I, yeah. can I expound a little bit more? So it's actually an, an interesting story. Oh, okay. And it, and it, and it, uh, it touches on the complications of this disease. And, and, and maybe I'll tell this story and Nathan can comment on, on the challenges of having disparate phenotypes, meaning patients with different disease manifestations yet all having the same disease or having the same disease mutation and so that's one of the classic things about this disorder is that patients can have one of three predominant phenotypes they can have a muscle disease or muscle weakness they can have another rare disease known as Paget's disease of the bone Paget's disease of the bone is a, uh, a 
degenerative bone disease that um, is somewhat common, but hereditary forms are not very common. And then patients can also get a dementia. And that led to the initial description of this disease as something called IBM PFD, which means inclusion body myopathy, Padgett's disease of the bone, front to temporal dementia. And so you can imagine trying to figure out the genetics of a disorder in which you see a patient in clinic and they say, you say, hey, you know, does anyone in your family have muscle weakness? And they say, well, no, but my mom's got Padgett's disease and her mom had dementia. And, and trying to put that together within a single disease was, was quite challenging. And so I give a lot of credit to the, um, the investigator that really did the work of identifying the gene, which is Virginia Comonis, and being able to piece together these kind of disparate phenotypes into a single uh, um, disease. And so the story really is that the very first patient, uh, well, the first patient that, that, that we saw here um, was seen in our, our muscle disease clinic. And, um, and he, we asked him, you know, does anyone in your family have anything similar? He's like, no, um, you know, basically it was basically no, no one has anything similar. And then a colleague who was in the dementia clinic was seeing someone else and that patient had dementia, had no muscle weakness and had a, a, a relatively rapid case of frontotemporal dementia. And, and that patient also said, no, you know, I don't have anyone in the family that's similar. Well, it wasn't until kind of a, a conference of kind of discussing things, finding out that actually those two individuals were first cousins. Oh, wow. And it was then recognizing even more so within that family that there were, uh, I have the pedigree, I have to think about what it is, but it, it but of, you know, 40 patients, I think, you know, 20 of them had either Padgett's disease of the bone, front to temporal dementia, or inclusion body myopathy. And so um, that was really kind of the first large family, but it was really kind of this serendipity of, uh, of, of how um, uh, of people being seen in different clinics. And, and, I, and I joke about this in, in a way um, that, that I think will resonate with Nathan, which is that, you know, I don't always talk to my other colleagues about you know, you know, me talking with the dementia folks is someone that's interested in muscular dystrophy, but that occasionally happens, but we don't interact that much. And I certainly don't interact with people that do bone disease. And so this is, you know, not only in the clinical space, but I think Nathan might be able to comment on the, on the application space, but also even in the research space, it's hard for all of us to get together and communicate because I don't often, you know, think about these other types of phenotypes sometimes. Yeah, no, it's a challenge. I mean, we, the first, very first conference we ever went to was the rheumatology conference to talk to people about Paget's disease. And my mom, she had the inclusion body myopathy and the Paget's disease of bone, which there are treatments for the Paget's disease of bone. But I'd, I've been tested for Paget's. I don't have it. I just have the inclusion body myopathy. And in my family, you know, there's a mix of the Paget's with the inclusion body myopathy body myopathy, but we've never seen the frontal temporal dementia in our family, yet some of the families that we've spoken to that we've reached out to, you know, the only phenotype is the frontal temporal dementia. And we haven't even mentioned that, you know, and Chris's point about the disparate phenotypes, I mean, there are some hereditary ALS patients that have the VCP 
mutation or variant. There are some hereditary Parkinson's or Parkinsonism that have the VCP mutation in Charcot Marie Tooth. You know, so it's in a small percentage of those populations, but that's what makes this really challenging and difficult and, and where our efforts have just been about bringing awareness and letting people know because, you know, my family was misdiagnosed as limb girdle muscular dystrophy because the symptoms look very similar. Um, in the beginning, we've had a lot of patients that it's been multiple sclerosis or inclusion body myositis because the symptoms look very similar, but the science is different of, of what's causing it. So it, it's a big challenge. I guess I see, you know, I see, I hear challenge, but I also see when I, so when I think of, of studying the research and the mechanism of disease, I see opportunity hmm. in that, um, research on BCP disease is not just going to give us information on BCP disease. It's going to give us information on, as you said, dementia, Parkinson's disease, hereditary neuropathies, um, uh, inclusion body myositis. And so in some ways, um, that's, that's the, 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 the amazing part about this disorder, which touches on many different degenerative disorders. Um, and, and why it's an important disease to be thinking about so that we can understand the molecular mechanism and the pathogenesis, um, at least from, from that siloed point of view of thinking about the research aspect, I agree. It, it makes it more challenging from, from patient standpoints um, and, and makes it harder probably to infiltrate all those different patient groups. But um, from the mechanism standpoint, it, it, it actually offers a really amazing opportunity. Well, and yeah, we didn't even touch on the cancer piece, right? I mean, they think within tumors, or, you know, there's what, there's efforts or work being done on VCP uh, for oncology, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, oh. I think one thing, you know, I guess whenever I think of, um, so, when a, so I, I will often have patients with rare diseases come and talk to me and say, what should I do? And I, I don't know if Nathan and I have this conversation or not, but basically, you know, what, what can I do for my rare disease? And, and really, um, you know, the, the things that, that I think are important are some of the things that, that Nathan and his organization are doing, which is really to mobilize patients, um, you know, really, um, identify patients that are out there. So this is a rare disease. Um, I only know the patients that I have in clinic. Um, and so um, the best people to recruit new patients for a natural history study are the patients themselves because they're within their family. Um, and so that's the way that we can identify more patients. In addition, um, you know, I can't easily set up a, a you know, uh, just because I'm a, a clinician, I can't go and uh, identify patients just by cold calling patients, you know, um, they need to contact me. And so by having a patient facing organization like Cure VCP disease, um, that, that I think that, that, that is a, a great place for a patient advocacy group to, to begin. 
Yeah, I agree on that. And touching on that Cure VCP Disease Foundation, Nathan, can you tell me a little bit more about the foundation itself? And I'm also kind of, I'm also curious, how many people do we know about as of today that have been diagnosed with this condition? Yeah, so we'll start with a prevalence question because it's a great question. And the answer is we don't know. <laughs> we, um, because um, people do get you know, diagnosed or, as Chris already described, misdiagnosed or, as he described, you know, one person's thought to have this, one person's thought to have that. I mean, we just met a family in the California area who, you know, the gentleman's mother has the frontal temporal dementia, and they originally thought it was just regular dementia, and her grandmother had dementia. And as it turns out, they finally did a genetic test, and there's the VCP mutation. So it's the, you know, FTD uh, phenotype due to the VCP mutation. And so um, now we're bringing that, you know, that family in. So there was a study done that, you know, Chris and I were discussing this about a month ago, that it was 0.066 per 100,000 in the UK. And the advantage in the UK is you have all the patients go to one facility, so you should be able to kind of capture, you know, that population. And But if you translate that to 350 million people in the U.S., that says there's only 250, 260 people you know, that have the VCP mutation. And that doesn't sound right. Um, I think when, you know, we've got 50 something people in our registry, but we know there's a lot of people that have not um, registered. And we know if you find the family, families, you're going to find the patients. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's where, you know, so when we talk about, you know, cure VCP disease and, you know, our nonprofit, the first thing we're trying to do is identify patients you know, and that starts with education and awareness efforts to the medical community. Um, it also, you know, what we're trying to do is there are, you know, Chris is doing his great work and Virginia Camonis is doing her great work. And Dr. Guo on our medical advisory board is doing her great work, but trying to bring everybody together and their patient populations to have them register into the Cure VCP disease registry. And that's where we're very appreciative to CORDS and the services that, you know, CORDS offers us um, is to have it in one spot so that we can try to identify what the prevalence of the disease is. So, you know, we, we understand that, especially in our, you know, we're still a very young organization that we've got to start with the foundation and building the infrastructure um, to reach the patients and bring them together. And we did our first ever patient conference at Washington University in St. Louis, and we're very appreciative to Chris for hosting us in April of 2019. And we're doing it again in April of 2020 because we had a lot of patients in the area. We had about, I think we were around 25, 30 patients, but caregivers came as well as researchers and doctors. Um, and we were able to do the first ever VCP you know, patient and caregiver conference and talk about different topics. And we're gonna do it again because we have a group that you know is looking for hope. Um, you know, there hasn't been much hope in the past and, you know, for treatments or other things, but we're also trying to educate our patient population that they have to participate, be involved, go see Chris, even though he may not be able to prescribe them a treatment or something like that, he still has to see them, um, and, you know, see how the disease progresses. You know, Chris made a quote in one of our grant applications we made for a a recent grant that, 
you know, the drug companies and the drug development efforts and the biotech efforts might be outpacing our clinical understanding of the disease. Um, and so we're trying to do a natural history study so that we understand the rate of degradation. You know, as a patient with the disease, you know, my being able to lift my shoulders up or put a shirt on is more difficult than it was last year. Mm. But again, we have to be able to measure that scientifically. And that's, you know, we are trying to do that longitudinally in our, um, in the cords registry as well. So, but that's a little bit about cure VCP. No, that's great. And Chris, from a researcher's standpoint, why is it important to have patients enroll in the cure VCP disease registry with cords? What, what does that do for a researcher like you? Yeah, so, so I mean, it's it's essential to know um, the the so so what I always say is you know um, it's even sometimes challenging to explain to a patient what a natural history study is and why it's important because what I say to right. a patient is you know I need to understand how you're progressing um, in order to do a treatment trial I need to understand what you can do today and and what you can do in uh, in a year. And whether that's walking six meters, whether that's climbing a, a timed uh, stairs, um, I need to be able to understand that. And often a patient will look at me and say, well, you know, you, you, I'm right here in front of you. Like I'm the person, like, like it, it doesn't make sense to them because they're like, well, I'm progressing. You can look at me. And, and what, what people don't write for reference, uh, understand is, is we really need to know what that looks like in a cohort of patients, in a population of patients. What does that look like in a hundred patients? Because then I can start to, uh, if I do a treatment trial, often many treatment trials, you know, we would all love to have a therapy that made somebody stronger or made somebody better. And, and, and I'm not saying that shouldn't be the goal, but what if we have a treatment that slows progression? What if we have a treatment that, that you know, slows decline? What if we have a, a treatment that delays onset? And so those are, those are really viable options as well. And if I don't understand, not on a single patient, but if I don't understand in a group of patients how somebody progresses or how they progress as a group, I can't design a clinical trial to see if my intervention works. And so I think that's, um, that's the reason why um, a registry, as well as uh, developing that into a, a natural history study, is important. I think the other thing that's interesting about rare diseases and how we need to start thinking about registries and outcomes and, and things of that are, how do we, how do we, you know, the, the, the model for a natural history study is to bring the patient to you and then spend a day, um, you know, putting them through different functional tests and then having them come back six months later. And in, in some ways that's, that, that's sending them to a specialized site. So having them come to St. Louis, having them come to the medical center, challenging to get to not the most patient-friendly place any academic medical center is not the most patient-friendly place and so how do we how do we do that from afar and are there more innovative ways we can think about it i think questionnaires um, functional rating scales that we can do patient reported outcome measures are going to be really important things to start thinking about in, um, in, in rare diseases yeah, I would agree with that. So what I hear is for researchers such as yourself, you need to have the information, people sharing about their symptoms and their condition for you to understand it and to, like you said, 
maybe find those treatments that can slow down the progression of that condition. Um, my, can, I, can I make another? I was yeah. going to make another comment, and I was going to—I'm I'm, going to put Nathan on the spot a bit too. Sorry, Nathan. Um, bring so, it, bring it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> I, I just. You know, Nathan often asks me, you know, you need to get your patients to register with CORE. You need to get, we need to get more patients in the registry. And, and I just want to, I think it's important. Um, so what, what do I, how can I do that? And what do I do? So I see a patient with VCP disease in clinic, and, and it may be a patient that's had VCP disease for 10, 15 years. And I tell them, you know, you need, you know, this is a great new organization. This is a great you know, website. You need to register um, on it. And, and I'd say probably half the time they do it and half the time they don't. The other subset of patients is patients that I just make a brand new diagnosis on. And I say, you know, this is the disease you have. They're wrapping their head around all of the issues. And I say, hey, and there's this organization and you know what you really need to do? You need to register on this website so that you can enroll in a, um, in the registry. And I guess, I, you know, and my guess is the hit rate on that is probably 50%. And then I tell them, and, and you know what, can you get all your family members to do it too? Mm-hmm. And so in, in some ways, um, I don't know if, if putting the onus on the physician to, to do the outreach, it, it's challenging. I guess I would ask Nathan's personal experience on, you know, that type of interaction initially with the physician and, and how how I could ask that question in a way that meets the patient where they are at that time so that we can increase kind of en- enrollment in registries. Yeah, so, I, I, you know, no, it's not entirely, you know, it's all of our responsibility, but I think the doctor physician brings credibility to the conversation and, you know, kind of a, a reassurance that this is the right thing. I mean, certainly data and people's security and, you know, HIPAA, you know, people are worried about that, you know, and, that, you know, should be concerned about it. But the doctor, you know, or physician explaining the why, you know, why it's important and what can happen out of it, I think, you know, brings credibility to it. You know, what we see, and certainly, you know, from my family's experience is because there wasn't a treatment, a lot of families don't want to deal with this. They've seen family members because it's an autosomal hereditary disease, uh, autosomal dominant, you know, hereditary disease. They've seen family members. They see how ugly, you know, this gets, how debilitating it is. And a lot of people just don't want to deal with it. And so what we're trying to encourage is, you know, we're trying to bring hope, you know, to the patient population. And we can't instill false hope, but, you know, and some people want to get involved, some people don't. But usually within families, there's one champion or one family member that, you know, is kind of the go-getter or, you know, tries to rally everybody together. And that's who we have to touch and try to implore to get other family members to participate. And, you know, certainly within our disease, because it's adult onset, you have another generation that's gonna be coming along um, that might or might, you know, have the disease, might or might not have the disease. And so they need to be aware and educated, um, 
that an organization exists that can provide support or, or help them or educate them, um, but they still have to go to their doctor, um, you know, because that data and, you know, the, um, you know, it, just being seen, um, it, you know, is really important. So um, I don't know. I, I don't know if that answers it, but, you know, I, I think it's, it's important for all of us to be doing it. It's not in, you know, it's not just all on the doctor's shoulders to do it, but the doctor also sees the patients, you know, and we can't, you know, unless somebody comes to our webpage or it's a person that refers somebody to us, you know, that's when we can kind of help them. And, you know, we've had a lot of patients that have come to us. They didn't know what this disease was. And so now, you know, they can at least relate or, hey, yeah, we've had similar symptoms or similar stories. And that's what we try to do through our patient conference as well. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Uh, I wanted to know if a patient did want to find out more information about your organization, Nathan, what is the website that they could go to? Yeah, so our website is uh, www.curevcp.org. It's Vallison Containing Protein for VCP. Uh, we also have a presence on Facebook. Um, we have a presence on LinkedIn. Um, so we've got different channels. We have on our webpage, we have where people can subscribe to a newsletter. So we send out actually about nine minutes ago, our, our latest newsletter just went out. So we send them, you know, either twice a month or once a month. And then even within the scientific community, we have... Uh, a newsletter that we send out, like we're planning our first ever VCP uh, scientific conference to occur in North America, planning that for September 25th and 26th at Caltech. Um, and so, we're, you know, there's a lot of work, you know, as we talked about earlier with the interest in VCP at the molecular level, mm -hmm. there's NIH grants, there's a lot of work being done just to understand the protein, why it unfolds in certain ways or, or how it behaves and what it affects within the body because it's a basic gene. Um, and so we're trying to bring those scientists together with the clinical space. You know, a lot of these scientists have never met a human with VCP. They've either studied them in fruit flies or some other animal, you know, model, yeast models they can study VCP in. And so, you know, it's interesting to them that, you know, we have a patient, we have human beings that have this mutation and it reinforces, you know, the work that they're doing and the importance of it. And actually at our next patient conference, we're going to have um, at least one, you know, one, um, Dr. Alyssa Johnson from LSU, you know, speaking, you know, on the molecular work that she's doing. We have a patient conference webinar call coming up on December 9th, um, where, uh, Dr. Peter Shin at University of Utah is talking about what they've learned about BCP and, and present. So we're just trying to bring the whole community together to talk about BCP, which in turn, you know, there may be scientists or researchers that didn't know this was going on, so that networking occurs and happens. But within our patient population, they know that it's not being ignored, that things are happening, and their participation is really important. Wow, yeah. It sounds like between Nathan, your organization, and Chris, you guys are doing a lot of impactful things for this community. Um, I'm really impressed by all of this. As we wrap up here... Any last-minute thoughts or closing thoughts that you want the audience to know about? I mean, I, I, I would, um, 
I think what's amazing is what Nathan has done in, in the last year, year and a half. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I guess I, I would, I'm going to ask Nathan a question. I mean, how is your, so Nathan and I met probably a year and a half ago. No, one year ago. One year ago. Early October of 2018. Yep. So we, we met and, um, you know, and I heard in him, you know, uh, the aspiration, but also the frustration. Um, and I guess I would ask Nathan if that's, if any of that's changed the, um, you know, I, I, I can't even remember it's kind of hearing you say, no one's interested in VCP. No one's, you know, and, and, you know, now, now you've got a, a group that is interested in, and also have identified researchers that are interested in it. And I guess has, has, has any of that changed in the last year? No, well, I mean, we have, I mean, what we, we've identified, I mean, there are companies or biotechs that are interested in therapies for the disease, but, um, you know, and Chris is always great for, yes, we met a little over a year ago, um, and, you know, he helped us to exhibit at the American Neurology Association Conference, of which he's a member and now a leader, right, Chris? That's right. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we actually... Um, you know, and it's kind of a fun story because, you know, it was in Atlanta and we went, you know, we took Chris to the Falcons just to get to know him better. And so, you know, a lot of time, Chris, you know, we had a great conversation. I mean, just over watching a football game, having a couple beers, you know, just, we got to know each other as people first. And so, you know, Chris is great because, you know, I'm pretty passionate and get fired up and, you know, he can kind of, but I also heard from his side, the frustration that he has, you know, sometimes in identifying patients or that patients come to him wanting a cure for it. And it doesn't work that way. So I'm an engineer by training. And, you know, the challenge is that steps have to be taken, you know, to even get to the point where we can find a treatment. And so my frustration is, you know, yeah, I still have the frustration, but I do have hope. And I'm very proud of what we've accomplished, you know, in a short amount of time. But, you know, it's just where people don't want to get involved because, you know, and so is that on me because we haven't imparted or been able to share correctly, you know, why we need them to participate. But, you know, just trying to, to get patience, but also, you know, you see gaps in the messaging between different groups or parties that, you know, may not work together. Um, you know, but that's our goal. It's just like any company or organization. Um, and that's what we try to run cure VCP disease. It's a business, um, that, you know, we have people challenges, we have financial challenges. Um, you know, we have the product, you know, the technology challenges. And so we just have to go solve problems. So, um, no, I mean, you know, and we have, you know, HR challenges where we need people that can do certain tasks and, and things like that and and being able to identify because we're a totally volunteer-led organization. You know, we you know we go to conferences on our own dime. We don't allocate any funding to to travel and TE expenses. And so, you know, it's incumbent upon those of us that are active and engaged. Um, and so we just need more people that want to jump in and help. So that that's probably the biggest, you know, I expected to be at a hundred people in the registry by the end of this year and we're at 52 and we know there's a lot more. I mean, we know where the families are, but we just need people. I have an uncle that hasn't registered and I'm about to have to drive to 
you know, the Carolinas to go, you know, just make him do it. And so, you know, those are the challenges that, and the frustrations. But no, I mean, there's a lot more hope than what there was before. And we're appreciative to the scientific community for jumping on. It, it's always encouraging to me when I call, you know, like, you know, an NIH researcher, somebody studying VCP, and they're, they make the time for you like that, you know, to talk because they're excited to talk about it. So that, that's awesome. Yeah, I think that's really, I think it's exciting too, like where you guys are going with your organization. I'm excited to see where this takes off in the next year or so, but I think you gave some really solid advice there, Nathan, about, you know, the importance of just connecting with the researcher on a human level too. And I think for all of the audience members out there, those that do have a rare condition or you're thinking of starting a group, you know, I think you gave great insight onto what it takes and behind the scenes on how that goes. So thank you for sharing that piece with us. Alyssa, I guess the, the other, I, w- I would say that, um, that that personal connection has, has helped, um, you know, Nathan has been very um, able to listen to, um, I think even understanding how an academic lab works, where yeah. my priorities are you know to to make sure that i have sustained grant funding so that i can fund the you know career lab technician in my lab who has a family mm-hmm. you know that, that that there are you know i have my own constraints and bandwidth as well and i have to you know fund a research program and how does that how does that play into and align with the goals that Nathan has, how do Nathan's goals align with what we can do? And I think, you know, having an open, um, you know, Nathan's been very open to hearing how, how academic medicine works. How, um, how do you, how do you, how do you do a natural history study? How do you, um, how do you uh, find money to do a natural history study? Um, how, you know, what, what is a research network look like and and those types of things so um i think that that that's been really helpful from my standpoint in communicating with with nathan to be able to say i I don't think i can do that that's not in my you know bandwidth but but maybe maybe you could contact this person and maybe they could could help um yeah, I think we've gotten to, you know, we've got trust between Chris and I. I mean, I consider Chris a friend, you know, mm-hmm. if anything. I mean, yeah, I, you know, we're hopeful that, you know, he has major breakthroughs. But if anything, we're here, and, and that's the credibility that we've tried to establish as an organization is we're not coming to doctors wanting something. We're asking what can we do to help, you know, what, and that takes time to build that trust. I think we're finally – you know, we had some grant applications. Chris was awesome in terms of filling out, you know, because there's questions that or things that we could, we didn't know how to write. You know, we didn't know how to articulate it. Um, but at the same time, you know, Chris and I had a conversation a week or two ago about something that didn't go so well at our caregiver conference. And so if we were going to do it again, you know, but we took, you know, he gave me the, the action. We went and chased it down, and now we're going to have a conversation with some experts about it. And, you know, so 
not putting everything on the doctor or the physician or the research community, but doing the things that we're capable of doing to assist them, I think is really important as an advocacy organization. Yeah, you guys both hit it right on the head. And I think that's the key to what can make, you know, research and treatments and just developing therapies for these conditions is the collaboration between both researcher and advocacy group and just keep and just having an open mind where you guys can shoot ideas back and forth from each other like you said what did work what didn't work I think that's fantastic um, you guys have been great to listen to and talk to is there anything else that you want to share before we close up here I mean, I'm good. I, again, appreciate the opportunity and, you know, we're appreciative of Chris and all the researchers and scientists that are out there. And it's amazing to see how far we've come in 18 months. Um, and it's really exciting to see where we're going to be in another 18 months. I, I think with VCP, there's, there's a lot of learning being done and we're kind of on the cusp. We might even be a little early, you know, on, so there's going to be some major news or breakthroughs on this mm -hmm. gene. Um, you know, and it might be in the cancer population first, but we have to be positioned and ready to go from a neuromuscular <laughs> standpoint. So, but thank you again. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you both for joining. It's been a great, a great episode. Thanks so much for listening. The theme music for Chordscast is borrowed with permission from Scott Holmes' song, So Happy. To learn more about Sanford Research and our registry, Chords, visit us at sanfordresearch.org chords. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions, comments, stories, or feedback to chords at sanfordhealth.org. Find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Sanford Chords. The content of Quartzcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. We'll see you next time on Quartzcast.